I think the intention is is good in many cases um, where they really do want to improve health and they think that this tool they've read, this could be a good way to do it. But I just think the amount of misinformation and the it's like you say, Andrea, always follow the money. You know, the right. marketing strategies are just uh, very heavy handed. And so I think they just pull people in thinking they're going to achieve this great health outcome when that's really not possible through this avenue. This is Fat Science, a podcast dedicated to the science of why we get fat. No diets, no agendas, just science that makes you feel better. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace professional medical advice. I'm Dr. Emily Cooper. I've been treating patients with metabolic issues for over 25 years. I'm on a mission to raise awareness about metabolic dysfunction and why diets don't work. Hi, I'm Andrea Taylor. I've been fat, very fat, chubby, morbidly obese, and done almost every diet ever invented. They all worked until they didn't. I've known Dr. Cooper forever, but when I became her patient and we learned metabolism was the real problem, wow, everything changed, and I've never been healthier. And I'm Mark Wright. It's time for Fat Science. Wait, does this podcast make me look fat? Welcome to Fat Science. I'm Mark Wright, along with Andrea Taylor and Dr. Emily Cooper. It's so great to see you two. Great to see you guys. Hello. All right, on the show this week, we are talking about glucose monitors. This is a super hot topic right now because we normally think of these things as you know devices that people with diabetes have to use, but now some people are suggesting even people not with diabetes should test their glucose levels. So I think we should start with just kind of a baseline, Dr. Cooper. What is a glucose monitor and, and how, do, how do these things work? Well, the glucose monitors are really gaining in popularity lately, not just among people with diabetes, but the general population is more and more interested. But the way that they work is um, the traditional ones are basically um, a device that you can poke your finger and draw a drop of blood, put it on a test strip into a device that measures the actual glucose content of that. And um, those have been around for several decades. And they're, they've been quite helpful for people with diabetes, and they monitor your glucose real time when you do that poke. You can tell exactly what your glucose is doing. So now we're into a new generation. We have wearable monitors, and you see these commercials for them all the time where people have this little patch that's on their their upper arm and that patch is able to somehow figure out what your glucose you know levels are how how do those patches work well and and those are called continuous glucose monitor devices called CGMs and they've been around for a couple of decades actually but they're gaining popularity over the last 5 years essentially um, among people again who don't necessarily have diabetes but these um, uh, uh, involve a patch that you apply maybe to your outer arm, your abdomen, your thigh, somewhere on your body. And within the patch are little probes or filaments that can penetrate the skin. And they're not actually testing the blood glucose level, but they're testing what's called interstitial fluid, which is just um, a fluid that bathes our cells uh, right under our skin. And it's testing the amount of glucose in that um, area. 
So they're, they're accurate. They're very accurate, but they do lag behind the finger stick glucose monitor, which is actually getting it straight from your blood. So um, whatever's going on in the interstitial fluid could be representing a delay of about five to 10 minutes from what's happening on the finger stick. So that's why the finger stick is the best for measuring acute changes in a setting where your blood sugar is changing uh, rapidly. Why would you want to know your glucose numbers so closely and what would you do with them? <laughs> that's a great question. I mean, obviously if you're diabetic, it's important to know your glucose. Oh, I get the diabetic thing. <laughs> yes. I don't understand this non-diabetic thing. Yeah. And I don't understand like where do you get this thing? Like, do you go to some kind of sugar shack clinic or <laughs> some kind of man, woman, trainer person gives it to you? Because I have not heard of people getting these things, but I know that people are getting them. I don't yeah. know anybody who has them, but I've heard of it. But yeah. I don't get well, it. I don't understand. Like, what are you writing down your numbers all day long and then <laughs> you don't eat candy? I don't get it. That's <laughs> a good question. Well, yeah, I think you're right. There's a big difference between people with diabetes who are used to using these devices and then the general population without diabetes and the way that they're kind of trying to apply these devices. And the general population wasn't really into it uh, when it was just the finger stick device. They weren't very attracted to that. But with the onset of better and better technology for the continuous monitors that involve the patches that you wear that continuously record your glucose and then display that to maybe your smartphone, that really stirred up the curiosity among the general population it's kind of part of that wave of what I call biohacking, where people are very interested in themselves and their own numbers and more and more detail about what's going on in their body. And of course, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's great to have data. The question is in people without diabetes, um, how they're actually using that information and how accurate the devices are in that setting. Um, and how they're interpreting that data and, you know, whether they're really interpreting it in a way that's meaningful. But you, you still do need a prescription for the continuous glucose monitors. So they are FDA regulated. They require a prescription. But a lot of these companies have kind of worked around that. They're, they're cropping up everywhere with these um, subscription models where people sign up for the device and the sensors and they have doctors that actually don't really see the patient. I mean, it's not, sorry, it's not a patient, see the person, um, but they approve the prescriptions behind the scenes. And so they're able to get access to these devices without actually connecting to a medical provider. Um, so they're approved through kind of a virtual behind the scenes provider. And then um, they sign up for different levels of monitoring through these companies, various companies. And there's so many of them that have cropped up and it's pretty expensive. Like how much? It's, oh, it's, it, I was amazed. It's like definitely anywhere from 150 to $500 a month, uh, for this, Whoa. yeah, for this monitoring, uh, subscriptions and within that. And then what do you do with well, it? Well, that's the thing within it, it's being sold in packages with like dietitians or nutritionists, um, food plans, <laughs> exercise plans, trainers. So it's, it's being taken out of a medical context and more into this like, 
you know, direct to consumer health, uh, scape, but again, taking that glucose data and then extrapolating from that, how you should eat, how you should exercise. That's not really very scientific, honestly, but they're kind of stretching it there. Um, but again, people like monitoring, they like being told, you know, how to change their diet, how to exercise. And people are really drawn to that. Hmm. So it's like you look at the monitor and it says 98. So it's like, oh, that's a good number. I can eat grapes or whatever. Yeah. Or I can eat, um, <laughs> you know, oranges. <laughs> and then if it hits 120, it's like no grapes for you. <laughs> well, and that's what some, the problem I mean, is, is. It's got to be. Yeah, it's uh, often I've seen people panic over a glucose that's completely normal um, with these devices. Uh, so a person without diabetes and they eat a meal. And when you eat a meal, your glucose is supposed to increase. And yet people who see that, I've had patients tell me, I got my own glucose monitoring and I've changed my diet to prevent my glucose from going up when I eat. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> that does not sound right. Wow. Uh, and so there's a lot of misinterpretation of what normal is. It's completely normal for our glucose to increase when we eat and then come back down hours later and increase again. Um, it can in even increase with other uh, in other situations, and it's completely normal. So I worry about the way people are interpreting the data without any kind of real scientific guidance. That's really kind of troubling, Dr. Cooper, because you know we've covered in past episodes that glucose levels are just one component of a very, very complex uh, system of delivering you know calories and turning it into energy in the body. Um, I'd love to have you explain just what a normal conversion of food to blood glucose levels looks like. Like when we have a big meal and maybe we haven't eaten for, you know, four or five hours, where is our blood level to begin with? After we eat, what happens to the glucose levels and how does your body deal with that? Yeah. It, it, so if you don't have diabetes, your glucose normally will be in a range where when you're fasting, it's below 99 um, or below 100, I should say. And when you eat, it goes up immediately. And that's not really from absorbing the food. It really has to do more with alteration in other hormones like glucagon and um, some of the energy that's required for digestion. But the glucose goes up initially, and then it gradually returns back to baseline over a couple of hours. And so we like to see it do that kind of what we call glucose kinetics, the movement of the glucose. In people who may have a problem with low blood sugar reactions, we don't see that happen. We might see the opposite happen. We may see the glucose drop below the pre-eating levels, and that's concerning. So I think that with these glucose monitors, people are obtaining them and being told, you know, giving like you're in range, you're out of range, but it's not within the context of what they're doing at all. It's not really tied. It's just a snapshot of your glucose, not tied to really what you're doing in your lifestyle necessarily. Um, and so I think there's a lot of room for misinterpretation. Also, a lot of these devices have been designed for people with diabetes. Most of them have. And 
So they're meant to be very high accuracy at high glucose ranges. And when you get towards the normal low ranges, the accuracy can fade a little bit um, on for a lot of the different devices. So you have to really look at which ones have higher accuracy in the normal and low range versus the diabetic ranges. Um, and then one of the concerns too with the continuous monitors is different things will affect the readings. For example, because it's measuring the interstitial fluid, that fluid can collect and build up. If you're, say, your um, your leg is bent, and so it blocks some of the flow of fluid from that area and it concentrates it, that will artificially elevate the level. Even taking vitamin C affects it, Tylenol, you know, different things can affect the interstitial glucose readings. And so people are responding to a lot of these things without considering outside factors or, you know, whether it really means there's a physiologic imbalance or not. So if, so if you have a headache and took Tylenol, your numbers came out, come out totally different? Well, they can't, it can influence it, not totally, but it could influence it. So um, of course, people with diabetes, they're educated in a lot of this because the monitors are applied in a medical setting. And they have diabetes educators, they have doctors explaining how to use the device correctly. And in the general population, we really don't have that. You have maybe a company that has, you know, they might not have even a dietitian or exercise personnel, but they definitely don't have doctors and they have, you know, don't have healthcare providers. They're, they're really focused on more trying to hook you in to the idea that monitoring your glucose will help you follow a nutrition plan that only they can provide <laughs> and using their app and their technology will get you to these results for like weight or whatever else. Of course, weight is the, the big attractive lure, I think, for the marketers uh, around the glucose monitors. And there's really no evidence that it would really do anything long-term to change your body weight to measure these me these wow. readings if you're not diabetic. It sounds like it just gives you something to do. Like it gives you something to check off, like a little box that you can check off and you feel like you're accomplishing something. But really, it's just another thing that you get to pay for every month. Yeah. You know, just it's like another thing, another app, another situation. I read a great article. I thought it was really good, actually, an opinion piece, I guess you would call it, um, that diet, the diet world is now the wellness world. Mm -hmm. So it just sounds way better to say wellness instead of diet culture. It's now the wellness culture. So this sounds to me like it's just part of the wellness culture. And it sounds like, oh, I'm measuring my I'm measuring my glucose levels. So it just sounds like, oh, I'm being healthy and I'm being this and I'm being that because I'm measuring something. But really, you're not doing anything. You're really not doing <laughs> well, anything. Well, I mean, I think it is uh, part of that really um, desire by of people to know so much about themselves that somehow this will really connect them to more information. And I think the intention is is good in many cases um, where they really do want to improve health and they think that this tool they've read, this could be a good way to do it. But I just think the amount of misinformation and the it's like you say, Andrea, always follow the money. 
you know, the right. marketing strategies are just uh, very heavy handed. And so I think they just pull people in thinking they're going to achieve this great health outcome when that's really not possible through this avenue. Yeah. It seems like, where does it get you? $150 later a month. <laughs> at the least, at the yeah. least. But I, I yeah. do recommend glucose monitors for some patients, honestly, that don't have diabetes. And some of these patients are patients that suffer from um, extreme hypoglycemia, low blood sugar reactions. And um, what I always tell them is if you see a a day where you're experiencing extremely low blood sugars, it's not from something you're doing that moment. It goes back to often the day before. So it's really important to keep diaries for to go over with a medical professional right. with that data so they can help you interpret it. Because often people think my blood sugar just went, you know, to this level or that level. And it's because of what I just ate. And that's really not the way it works in the body. So I don't knock people for, for trying to get more information. I have every right to, I mean, it's available. And so, but I encourage people to do more, uh, to involve their maybe medical team on understanding the interpretation of the data. Mm. Data is good, but it's how you use it. Right. <laughs> So, Dr. Cooper, what causes low blood sugar in those patients? Yeah, it's so interesting. Low blood sugar hypoglycemia is a real difficult problem for a lot of, of people. And most often it is um, linked to genetic risk for diabetes and obesity, that some of the metabolic dysfunction that connects to diabetes and obesity can also in some people manifest as low blood sugar reactions. Sometimes it's due to um, you know, spikes, abnormal spikes in insulin after eating. And that's not necessarily just because somebody ate a candy bar. It's, it's actually eating just normal food, um, protein, certain proteins and certain starches can in some people trigger an abnormal insulin response, which triggers a low blood sugar reaction. But, um, you know, so it's a difficult thing. It's a medical condition that has to be monitored and identified Often low blood sugar is simply from just not eating enough food or cutting out too many carbohydrates um, or going too long without eating. So all of us can experience hypoglycemia if we've gone too long without eating, we haven't eaten enough carbohydrates, then of course our blood sugar, which is derived from carbohydrates, can drop. And so that can be completely normal. But there are people that suffer from chronic hypoglycemia that's recurrent and can actually cause all kinds of symptoms ranging from mood disturbance to concentration problems to um, anxiety episodes that that seem like anxiety, but it's actually adrenaline due to the, the low blood sugar reactions. So it's it's just important to, to find out what's going on there. But again, these devices are not the best way to detect it because they're geared more for people with high blood sugar. So you can easily miss the hypoglycemia using most of the over-the-counter type devices. It seems like a very small percentage of diabetics worldwide have these wearable continuous glucose monitors, which surprises me because it seems like that's the market. Right. And, and, and it seems like, how come more diabetics aren't using these? Because they seem like they um, can prevent you know, catastrophic things from happening if they keep that blood sugar in, in the right range. Well, up until fairly recently, um, 
it's been difficult to get the coverage, insurance coverage for them. And hmm. they can be very expensive. The, the really accurate devices can be quite expensive. And so luckily, over the last few years, there have been some lower cost models that are accurate enough for, for patients with diabetes. And so those are covered at a higher percent now by insurance for patients with diabetes. And so I think more and more you're going to see Instead of using the finger stick devices, which, you know, then you're dealing with these constant pokes and it's expensive too, because the test strips are expensive. The lancets are expensive. Mm. The device itself is not, but it's the disposable products where they make the, the money. And so having to get, uh, replenish your test strips, your control, your lancets, it's, it's pretty expensive if you're testing like four times a day as a diabetic patient. So upgrading to the continuous monitors has really been a movement that's been, I think, gaining steam over the last few years, especially because of the insurance coverage improving in that area. And you're right. I mean, it is expensive. They You have to replace them, what, every like 10 to 14 days, these, these monitor patches yes. that you just throw away. Yes. That's some electronics. Yeah. So there's some there, different right? you know aspects. There's the, the sensor but they're also, some of them have a, an individual transmitter that's very expensive that has to be replaced in a longer term, like six months or a year. But oh, the wow. sensors are not that expensive, but they still do have to be replaced, you know, every, it depends on the, the model, but every week to two weeks, if you're going to be using them, some, some of them people use for just three days or so. Um, so th those can get expensive too, those disposable parts, the cost did go down when they figured out how to not have to have a receiver device and how to transmit the data to just someone's smart smartphone. That eliminated a lot of the cost. So the technology is continuing to evolve and there are some devices that can be implanted surgically. And those, uh, there's actually, I think there's only one FDA approved one currently, but, um, that can record data, that one device for six months. And I think they're working on a 12 month uh, model and it tr transmits again to a receiver device, but it stays under your skin and has to be surgically removed. <laughs> so that's, that's a problem. Ooh. So that's a definite medical device, but a lot of these continuous monitors, they hook up with people's insulin pumps. So if you have diabetes and you're taking insulin, the insulin dose has to be adjusted based on your glucose. And that was really cumbersome for people to have to like manually make all these changes. Now that we have these continuous monitors that can actually pair up with the insulin administrating pumps, then the, it takes that legwork out of it for the, for the patient. And it's actually an automatic process of adjusting the insulin dose based on that glucose reading. Some of these devices measure something called ketones. What's a ketone? <laughs> well, ketones are an alternate energy source that the body can use in times where it can't access the glucose. And this is important for people with diabetes. Um, they don't usually monitor their ketones, but it's true that in diabetes, that's extremely uncontrolled, where the glucose levels are severely elevated the body can't actually utilize that glucose because there isn't the insulin to pull the glucose into the, the cells for, for use as energy. So what ends up happening is this alternate fuel source is utilized, which causes a buildup 
of ketones. And ketones, as they build up, can become quite dangerous. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the term diabetic ketoacidosis, but it's a condition that can happen in diabetes that can be deadly. And it requires immediate, you know, medical treatment, aggressive medical treatment. And so that's where the ketones have kind of been connected. Nowadays, people are trying to get their ketones up. You know, some people, some people are following these ketogenic diets where they're purposely trying to kind of starve their body of carbohydrates or glucose in order to force the body to use these alternate energy uh, forms. So, and that's a good thing. No, um, I mean, <laughs> we could do another episode about that. It, it's not necessarily. <laughs> it doesn't sound it, yeah, good. It's not ne- it doesn't sound it's good. Not necessarily a good thing. But if you're if you're a patient with diabetes, you know, ketones are not your friend. You're you're you don't want to see your body utilizing ketones as this alternate energy source because it means then you're you're completely incompetent at using your your glucose or carbohydrate uh, sources. So it's, it's a different context and, um, a person without diabetes could not drive their ketones up to that dangerous level, you know, by eliminating carbs the same way that a patient with diabetes, you know, could get into trouble with their ketones rising to extreme levels because they absolutely cannot utilize glucose. So it's, it's two different things, (laughs) but, uh, most Hmm. of the monitors that patients with diabetes use do not measure ketones. That's something that, that you discover when someone is like, you know, in real bad shape with their high glucose and they're going to the ER, um, and they find that they have high ketones there. But, um, these ketone measuring devices are becoming more and more popular because of people doing, you know, following diets like the ketogenic diet, and they want to monitor their ketones for a different reason. And I'm still confused exactly what is a ketone, Dr. It's a product of... (laughs) It sounds like something dangerous to me. It sounds like you want to just like burn something up so that you're like close to going to the hospital, but not really. And then, <laughs> I don't know, it doesn't sound good to me. Well, I it mean, sound ketones good. kick in, um, you know, as an energy source when there's not ability to utilize carbohydrates, glucose, that kind of thing. So it's like an uh. alternate fuel. And, you know, one, one of the problems with relying on ketones as an energy source is mainly that it means that your body is deprived of another fuel. And so we, uh, we've talked about before that you can't trick your body into, um, it, it's all about weight loss. Unfortunately, people are doing this because it's it, it, by starving your body of say carbohydrates, you're forcing your body to use fats, fatty acids as energy source, and you build up these ketone bodies so they're looking for an elevation in the ketones to prove that they're actually, you know, in the right target zone. They have cut their carbohydrates down enough to end up creating these ketone bodies in the blood. And so um, it's it's one of those situations where you're trying to trick the body into weight loss. But th- yes, like anything, you have short-term changes that occur that are maybe misleading because it may show in the short term, yes, you're burning more fat in the short term. Once your body catches on to the fact that you're having to rely on these ketones and it starts to create that weight defense, the biologic adaptation that comes with depriving yourself, 
then your metabolism will start slowing down and you'll start seeing that weight rebound. And the problem is that this weight cycling of losing weight, gaining weight has been shown to be really detrimental for, you know, cardiovascular risk and um, visceral fat buildup and things like that. So, but these are gimmicks. Like I actually went online um, just to see some of these glucose monitoring companies and they have you take a quiz and to determine if you're a good candidate for it. So I plugged in an artificial height and weight and the weight was too low for that height. It shouldn't have been, I mean, that would indicate that you're underweight. And the program asked me my goals and I didn't say my goal was weight loss. I said, something else, you know, like I just want to improve my health. And then it came back asking me if I've had trouble losing weight. And there were like five options. All of them were about how successful I had been at my weight loss attempts. So none of them said anything about the health that I said I was interested in. And it was all, you know, geared towards weight loss. So that's kind of scary because you could have people that want to lose weight that are already at a low weight or a normal weight, and it's technically not appropriate for them to be losing weight. And yet these products and subscriptions and companies are marketing to those desires, and they will actually create plans to help them lose weight. So... (laughs) So I was, I was actually surprised that even within the glucose monitoring world, um, where they talk about it being a health tool, it's again, focusing on this weight loss aspect. It just seems like that companies are using this as a way to make money and just taking it completely out of context. Because again, your blood sugar is just one small component of, of overall health. I'm curious, Dr. Cooper, when do you have any patients who are asking about these monitors and whether they should wear them or not? Yes, I have a lot of patients asking, and we have a discussion about it case by case of what the pros and cons would be of, of doing this uh, testing. And most of them opt out, you know, opt to not measure it after we're discussing that. I do have some patients, though, as I said, that um, we're we're recommending using them as a tool to kind of augment some of the things, strategies that we're trying, but we give the patient direct advice as to when to test, how to, um, you know, use that data. Usually the patient is just using it to report the data back to us, not, they're not making decisions based on it independently. So, um, But most of the time, we don't really see a need for it. And I see more risk of a patient misunderstanding the data and then taking an action with their diet that's the wrong direction and the opposite of which way we want to go. So we try to avoid that. What are they telling, what are these plans telling them to eat when they look at the numbers? Well, some of my patients that utilized the devices before I was aware and came back and said, I got one of these devices. And so I kept lowering and lowering and lowering my carbohydrates. So my glucose wouldn't go up at all after I ate. And they were trying to make their glucose the same as it was before they ate, like not go up at all. And, um, (laughs) so, so I don't really know what the programs are doing and I don't think they're, you know, all doing the same thing. 
I think what mostly they're doing is just trying to steer people towards a certain way of eating, regardless of what the glucose is doing. I don't really think they're basing it on the glucose. I think they're giving them some kind of coaching, nutrition coaching most of the time, but claim that it's based on the glucose. But I really wouldn't know. I haven't uh, looked that closely at it. But um, yeah. I would assume that it's like a low carb, um, obviously. Probably what's in the popular, you know, diet uh, culture right now is what they're promoting because that's what sells. Yeah. God forbid bread. I, I can see the the logic of what they're they think they're doing, and that is, if you prevent spikes in blood sugar, then that that you know glucose that's in the bloodstream won't be stored as fat somewhere, right? It's it's yeah. you'll keep it low enough so the body. But but like you said earlier, a spike in blood sugar is natural after you eat. So you said a good fasting glucose level is under a hundred. Um, so after somebody eats Dr. Cooper, what is a typical spike? Like what will it go up to after they well, eat? Well, you know, if after you've eaten a while after you've eaten, it's at like 200, that's a person with diabetes. So that's, that's too high, but it could hmm. easily go up to 150 within, you know, a half an hour and then start coming down or 140 and then start coming down. Um, usually most of our patients without diabetes, by the time they're at two hours, they're back to where they started. Um, so it's really more about the sequence. So just seeing one measurement doesn't mean much, but you do want to see it goes up and then it's gradually coming down. And how is that pattern? How does that pattern look? And, you know, with people that have a tendency toward diabetes, what you'll see even in the pre-diabetes condition is that by 90 minutes, their glucose, instead of coming down, it's staying up. It's not doing that normal drop that it, that it should be doing. So it goes up initially, gradually should come down. But in patients with a tendency toward diabetes, their 90 to 120 minute glucose is still significantly higher than their fasting. And that is one of the warning signs that a person is prone you know, to prediabetes or diabetes. Well, as we wrap things up, I'd love to just kind of give folks uh, some food for thought as we as we leave them. Dr. Cooper, if somebody's considering, you know, measuring their glucose levels as part of, as Andrea said, you know, a wellness regimen, what would your what would your advice be in terms of just like the average person who wants to know this stuff? Well, I think you know, what's much more valuable is having your HbA1c checked by your healthcare provider, your fasting glucose through a lab test. Um, if you're interested, what's called a glucose tolerance test. Um, we prefer to do that with a mixed meal versus the sugary drink because the mixed meal represents what you normally eat. But those would be laboratory quality data interpreted by a physician to help you know if you do have any you know, cause for concern to where you should, you know, go and get a glucose monitoring device on your own. And if you did, what should you be looking for? So I, I really don't advise that the general population go out and start monitoring their glucose, mainly because what are you going to do with that information? And the chances that you make the wrong move are much greater than the chances that you're doing anything that's actually going to be beneficial for your health. So that's my biggest concern because you can do a lot of damage by cutting out food groups and 
altering your food intake based on information that you're kind of misinterpreting. So that's my biggest thing. But if you have a discussion with your primary care doc or your endocrinologist or somebody who really feels it would be helpful, then asking appropriate questions and having that support can make all the difference and it can make it a useful a useful tool. Andrea, any uh, final thoughts? I would say basically that your advice is do it the right way. Do it, don't do something just because it's on an app. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what it sounds to me. Like don't do it because it's on an app. Like medical stuff should be, cons- you should do it with a doctor, not with an app. Like an app is not a doctor. Right. And you should trust yourself. You know, trust, part of this is that I think people are not trusting those natural cues that they get from their body. And they're looking to external sources again for direction. But often that gets in the way of what we call our physiologic intuition and our ability to read the signs from our body intuitively. And so if you check in and you're thinking, I'm tired. And well, you think, well, I haven't eaten for like four hours. <laughs> okay, maybe I should eat a complete meal and see if I feel better. Did you really need the glucose monitor to tell you that? So that's that's my concern is that people are turning so much to these external devices and apps and for information that they really just need to- That they could answer themselves. Yes, right. Yeah. And if somebody is concerned about, you know, maybe they have- pre-diabetes or diabetes, um, pretty easy to, to, to find that out just by going yeah. to your doctor and some simple blood tests, right? Oh, yeah. Right. If you're concerned about that, you absolutely should do that. You shouldn't be self-detecting it. You should go to a healthcare professional, say that you're concerned, make sure you have thorough testing. If it does come out that you have pre-diabetes and there are some goals or medications that you're implementing, maybe then it does make sense to have your glucose monitoring device. That would be a medical setting where you have appropriate counseling about it and direction. That that might make sense. But if everything checks out great, then you don't necessarily want to mess with something that's already good. Right. Sometimes a peanut butter and jelly sandwich really can take care of that stuff. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, we, uh, we should say that this is just... Uh, part of uh, a growing field that these uh, yes. pharmaceutical companies, drug companies, are really investing in this. And uh, I just read an article yesterday that about clinical trials for an implantable um, glucose device that actually taps into your bloodstream and then transmits the data. So it's actual real-time blood glucose levels. So it seems like these companies are investing further and further because when you look at how many people have diabetes around the world, those types of monitors, like you said, are going to be more valuable to that population. But I think they'll also be marketed to the non-diabetic world as well, because as you said, that's where Follow some of the, the money, money is. Yes. Yeah. Also, they're they're starting to, the technology is expanding to measuring more than just glucose with these little micro sensors that can be implanted. And that's pretty fascinating um, to see what the future brings in terms of what we can actually measure real time within the body. That's amazing. Yeah. On the way. Well, Dr. Emily Cooper, Andrea Taylor, thank you so much. It's been great learning about these wearable glucose monitors and sensors. Really good information. And uh, thanks so much. This has been another edition of Fat Science. No diets, no agendas, just science that makes you feel better. 
I'm Mark Wright. Thanks for listening to Fat Science with Dr. Emily Cooper, a Work P2P production. New episodes drop every Monday. If you've enjoyed the conversation, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This production is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace professional medical advice. Join us next week for another episode dedicated to the science of why we get fat. No diets, no agendas, just science that makes you feel better.